Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. I want to invite you again to open your Bibles, and we're going to actually go right to the book of John chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and it's in connection to our sermon series, Opening Your Heart for Others. And as you prepare to do that, I just want to remind you that Christ opened his heart for us. And Christ is very familiar with oppression. He's familiar with envy and greed, and he's familiar with loneliness. And yet we see a heart that is open wide to redeem us from these social ills and restore hope and favor. So let us open the Bibles to John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. It's a very inhumane form of punishment that one human can do to another. The soldiers then, as we read on, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And you can imagine they didn't do this gently. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him. Notice that there's no commentary about what Jesus did in response. He did nothing. Once more, Pilate came out, verse 4, and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. The only thing that could proceed from their mouths when they saw the Lamb of God. They wanted his blood. We're going to open the Bible again. We're going to continue in our Bible reading by going to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which will be our passage for this morning. And as you find Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in your Bibles, beginning at verse 1, let me just remind you that to open your heart for others, we need to address these four realities as they come out in our text, the problem of oppression, envy, greed, and the loneliness. But at the heart of all this is the heart. Let's begin with the problem of oppression and abuse of power. That's what oppression is. It's a grave evil. We have it in the political world, in the political regimes of our day. Hitler and his cronies sending millions to the gas chamber because of their ideology. Pol Pot and the killing fields in Cambodia, despots like Mussolini or our present-day despot like Kim Jong-un or tyrannical leaders like Xi Jinping and, and mass murders committed by ISIS. And there is untold oppression throughout this world today. All we need to do is talk about the trading of humans for sexual exploitation and prostitution, which seems to grow unabated in our world. And then there's also still systemic racism. Or what about the cries of the infant, the very small infant in the womb who has his life or her life taken from her or him? The Lord hates the hand that sheds innocent blood. He hates oppression. He hates injustice. But that's what we see in this world. And it should ignite your heart with a fire of righteous indignation when we watch and observe social injustice. There's a deeper and darker sin going on. And it's the sin of dehumanization. 
It's the sin of looking at someone as subhuman, as no longer image bearers of the Almighty. You see, Hitler with his war machine first ghettoized people and then he brought them into extermination camps and the German nation looked on as Hitler was doing this. And you wonder how they were deemed as subhuman, the whole Jewish race. That's also the story of those who are sex trafficked. It's an awful, awful evil. And the conclusion of the teacher is simply this. It's better if they did not live at all. You see, it's a cry of desperation from the heart. It's the fire of righteous indignation, but he has no recourse. He just observes, and he observes this power differential, and he says there's just no comfort. You see, from his horizontal worldview, under the sun, he can come to only this conclusion, that there's no smile beneath the tyrant's frown. There's no comfort from the tyrant. That's his first problem. He moves on then. He says there's another problem. And one could argue that the the next problem, which is the problem of envy, provides the soil for the seeds of oppression to grow. And I think they're related. He says in verse 4, And I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless in a chasing after the wind. Envy, as some of you know, is one of the seven deadly sins. And here's a litmus test for you this morning that I would like you to apply. If you spend 15 minutes, just 15 minutes on social media, whatever the platform, and then after your 15 minutes, I want you to measure the status of your heart. After you've watched, do you feel at all dissatisfied with yourself? Do you feel discontented, maybe even undone? Maybe you feel ugly. Maybe you feel stupid. Maybe you even become angry with your life. You see, it's very, very easy to allow envy to enter into the chambers of our heart. And it's the dark side of the human story. It's an invisible poison. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says it this way. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And all God's people should say amen. You see, envy produces this endless, relentless pursuit of what we call upward mobility. I need more. See, there, if we're going to talk about the heart, it's not captivated by love for your neighbor, to help them, to serve them. No, there the heart has grown cold. And the conclusion from the teacher is simply this. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. Here's the third problem. The third problem is greed. There was a man, verse 8, all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. We're seeing something very similar to envy here. Greed is also one of the seven deadly sins. It's a virus. It's the endless desire for more, and it doesn't really need to take into account anybody else. So somebody who is greedy does not necessarily need to be envious, They're just so full of themselves, so focused on what they want. To hell with the world, they're just going to get it. It's his wants, his desires. And the picture is quite bleak, actually, here. You see, he's at the center in this story, in this example, of his own existence and ultimately toils for nothing. But he's lonely and he's desperate. And he asks this question and there's no answer. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? I just keep working and working and working. Do you know people like that? 
Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It's a chasing, a shepherding of the wind. But the teacher's not even done here yet. He's listed three problems, but now he moves out of the third problem into the fourth, which is also very connected. And and he's now thinking loneliness. And he finishes with the problem with loneliness. He says, loneliness is a problem, but I have a solution at least for this. It's a practical solution. In England, they have a ministry of loneliness because they recognize loneliness as a social epidemic. Those are the problems that we're facing in their text. And they ask the question is, how, what's the solution? It's, it's easy to expose a problem. It's harder to provide an answer to the problems. And for the, some of these social ills that we're talking about, in particular oppression, there is no simplistic answer. Why a good God allows oppression to continue in this world stretches our understanding of his sovereign good will. We realize that this world is full of beauty, but it's also full of barbed wire. But although we are challenged by this reality, and so there's no quick solution, the answer to oppression, we're just going to spend a few minutes on that right now, the answer to oppression is not non-existence. That's an emotional response to the suffering that we see in this world And I know Job had that response, and I know Jeremiah had that response. If only I was a stillborn, Job says. If only my mother never bore me. It's an emotional response, but it's understandable. But it's not a biblical one. You see, will Hitler and his cronies who escaped the Nuremberg War Tribunal by ending their life just as the war ended enter into oblivion never to face the consequences of their actions? Do you understand that Hitler and his cronies put 1.5 million children to death by starvation, live burials, gas chambers, and they were promised that they were just going to have a a quick shower, or they're lined up on rows and shot. You see, Solomon understood that there is a God who will just righteously, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked For there will be, listen, a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Every soul that's ever existed on planet Earth will one day face the moral judge of this Earth. How do we know that God cares then? Is only and can only be found in the reality. And this is what separates the Christian faith from every other world religion, is that God entered into our oppression. It is God on the cross. He entered our oppression. He faced off against envy and greed. And he knows loneliness as a human experience better than any one of us. I think you need to understand it was God there in the person of Jesus Christ who was stripped naked and flogged. It was God there at the hand of the abuser willingly accepting their flogging and their slapping and their mocking. It was God there. We cannot begin to say even for a moment that God does not understand oppression. He is the oppressed one. That's God in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to serve and not to be served, he said. 
His whole life was marked by humility, was marked by downward mobility to the point he became like a lamb being led to the slaughter. And in that moment, when he is a lamb being led to the slaughter, he experienced loneliness like you and I have never experienced as I shared, suspended between heaven and earth as a picture of this reality that he was rejected by the humanity that he had created and rejected by the Father who had sent him to save us. Oh, he knows loneliness. The story doesn't end there, loved ones. This one who was stripped bare, flogged, slapped, mocked, crucified. And Jesus says, I love you and I forgive you. There is grace sufficient for you. We have a Savior who's opened his heart to you and to a world that's oppressed and says to you this morning, I know. You're lonely, he says, I know. You're oppressed, he says, I know. You struggle with envy and greed, he says, I've died for you. But now he's calling you out of that reality of what he has accomplished for you on the cross and risen again. Now he's calling you and me this morning to open wide our hearts to love. Love each other. Care for each other. Help each other. These are the social ills that we're dealing with in our text. Christ is the only option, the only answer. And finally, there will be a day of reckoning. That non-existence is not the answer. Christ is. And his purposes will prevail. Trust in him.